poems between two covers of one book, a book by two poets. But who wrote which poem is not at issue here. Rather, it's the way these two poems speak to each other, mirror each other in significant ways that's interesting. It turns out that when the poems are considered at the same time, we might say simultaneously, they have even more to say to us than when they stand alone. Simultaneous Revolutions is the title of this new poetry collection by Marcus Colasurdo and G.H. Mawson. And the poems we're citing are set in the city, no doubt Baltimore. The first is Third Street Deep Blues. The second is Sherwood Gardens, Baltimore, Maryland. Third Street unfolds in the middle of the night. Sherwood's story is told on a bright sunlit day. Each of the speakers is walking, walking idly, but for different reasons. The first walker is homeless and hungry, someone who's been thrust onto the streets against their will, desperate not to be there, someone with nowhere to live. The second walker has been drawn to the park without volition too, and experiences in the words of the poem though the quiet shelter of dogwood blooms, and a sense of restfulness. We're alerted to a different kind of hunger here, fulfilled, as the poem says, by flowers with food for the eyes. The people on Third Street include some pocked, ragged women scouring garbage cans for supper, while in the park there are people playing and lazing amid the fragrant beauty of the flowers on a May day. And in Third Street Blues, there's a hunger not just for food, even a dry piece of toast, but for home, a sense of belonging. And beyond that, the speaker longs for deep connection, longs to fall in love. And in the middle of the night, with nowhere to sleep on Third Street, that desire seems like a pipe dream. Home is a theme in Sherwood Gardens, too, the speaker enters this idyllic space and is overtaken by memories of home and the beauty of nature and the multicultural community of happy children and loving partners and playful friends are somewhat healing. Healing habits of fear that block feelings of belonging and love. So, it is the juxtaposition of these two poems that gives us insight into what Colosurdo and Mawson might be up to in this collection, Simultaneous Revolutions. They seem to have a both-and vision. The experience of Third Street is real for too many people. The experience of Sherwood Gardens is real and a desired possibility for each and every one. The poems, when held in tension, allow us to feel the ways life is and the ways life could be, should be. And then pushing us to ask how do we resolve the tension. Marcus Colosurdo is a native of southern Luzerne County and the author of 11 books. We had a chance to speak by phone with him in anticipation of a spoken word performance and book release Saturday, May 22nd in the evening at the Hazelton Art League. And we began by talking about what kinds of things he has spent his time in developing.
I was born in Hazleton, born and raised here, and lived here for the first 22 years of my life before I traveled west to California and been gone for a while living in Los Angeles and for quite some time in Baltimore as well. And uh, after my daddy died, I came back and kind of helped put the house in order with my mother and finished up schooling at Bloomsburg and then back and forth to Baltimore. And I'm kind of up here part-time and in Maryland part-time currently. So uh, one of the things I do up here is I founded and help operate a soul kitchen, which is a free community meals program for needy folks. So we started that in 2013. We've done about 10,000 meals so far in Hazleton. And previous to that, I founded one in Baltimore, which both of them are still operating. In Baltimore, we founded in 2010. So it's part of what I do back and forth is uh, help feed people who need food in these times. And seems like always. So I'm going to be doing a reading at the Hazelton Art League on May 22nd, a book release and spoken word performance of this new book, Simultaneous Revolutions, on PM Press, just released. We've talked about it before, Marcus, but you do have a sense of feeding people in the literal sense, helping people survive. But I've had a sense when we've talked before that you feel that poetry and the arts, music particularly, you're, you're very fond of music, that that's almost as essential. And you call these places soul kitchens? Well, you know the way that happened, Erica. I started a group in Baltimore around 1990, and it was a group called Give Me Shelter Productions. And over 15, 17 years, we did hundreds of performances to benefit worthy causes like homeless shelters, feeding programs, after-school programs, literacy programs, books in prison programs, uh, battered women's shelters, raising money. Every show is a benefit. It was an affiliation of all kinds of artists, you name it from dancers to writers to painters to cinematographers, sculptors. And on the streets reading poetry in front of a homeless shelter, one windy December afternoon in Baltimore, Maryland, and this is like 1991, I realized that words were not enough, that there were people, homeless people, listening very intently to the words that we were intoning but they were also in need of food. So it occurred to me that the two things could dovetail. And uh, there's nourishment of the soul and there's nourishment of the body, and those things need to dance together. So I formed that organization, and out of that later grew the Soul Kitchens. So it, it was a remarkable organization. Kind of, It's not one I've seen before that many, many, many artists would come together and check their ego at the door and perform without payment ever, but perform benefits for folks who are, you know, hammered by this society, who are really in need. So we did many, many, many shows, and uh, I distilled the Soul Kitchen out of that, in particular places for food distribution and sit-down meals, and then that fellowship of, as Bertolt Brecht said, the share of food is the share of soul. So that evolved into the Soul Kitchen as well. What started you on the writing path? Were you a reader first and then a writer? Were you a little guy, Marcus, running around and writing little poems and stuff? The little guy, Marcus, discovered the Hazleton Public Library at nine years old and fell in love with uh, books. You were drawn to everything. You read about whales and you read poems and everything? Yeah, right. Everything from geography, which was fascinating, to Galway Canal, the great poet. 
And I was literally astonished. Here's a world of books, and they're all free. You can actually check them out and take them. And to this day forward, I have nothing but respect for libraries. I mean, one of the great institutions in the world are libraries. So that, that it opened a whole new world for me, Erica. You've been writing for all those years and publishing as well, but you have been writing with a partner. So introduce us to G.H. G.H. Mawson. He and I have collaborated on these two books, the earlier one called Heart X-Rays, and this one, of course, Simultaneous Revolutions, both published by PM Press, which is out of Oakland, California, and Liverpool, England. He's a father, a lawyer, a longtime friend of mine, and a wonderful poet who was a graduate of the Johns Hopkins Writing Seminars. He worked with Gimme Shelter over the years doing various kinds of uh, performances, and we became friends many, many years ago, and not long ago we decided, well, why don't we collaborate on a book, and no one will take credit for any poems, we'll just, just by us, and you can guess who wrote what. It doesn't matter, right? So we decided to do that, as some reviewers said, the most democratic way, no one taking credit for each individual poem, just here's the book by Colasardo and Mawson, and enjoy it. You must be then on some sort of wavelength, similar wavelength, Where's the common vision that would allow you to do something like that? Love of, love of poetry. And we are trying to address what the last book, Hard X-Rays, is kind of like an RX about what's going on in America right now. From a soulful point of view, Simultaneous Revolutions is kind of a glance at the present evolving into the future. Changes are in the air everywhere. Uh, And this calls for care. It calls for consideration, thoughtfulness. And he is nothing if not a thoughtful person. So we agreed on a theme. Thematically, we agreed and went our ways and wrote our separate poems and then handed them to each other for critiques, for editing, etc., until we were satisfied with the final product. And um, we got some good, good editorial help from Dr. Gary Lafima out at Frostburg State University in Western Maryland. And PM Press people are really, really good. But generally, we had a thematic agreement, and then we worked back and forth on each other's poems just with minor, minor kind of suggestions. So the theme is the most important thing. You have the book divided into different sections, so you have the if section, the rumor section, and the flag section. But there are certain images and imagery weaving through the entire book, and certainly through the weaving of those images, we can experience the themes that you're working out. And certainly music, there's actually a musical scale on the front of the book in terms of your cover art. So you both must be music lovers because that imagery is persistent. Absolutely. It weaves throughout the entire book. The Clash is involved, Dolores Reardon, Bob Dylan. There's all kinds of stuff musically is involved. But it, you know, generally, it's acknowledgement of and music. Music is such a powerful force for change. It's a powerful force. You know, people go to it at moments of peace, for peace. They go to it for get rid of the blues. They go to it for celebrations, weddings, funerals. And just everyday life, a world without music would be, oh my God, a poor one indeed. But it's been part and parcel of what energizes people, something about the commonality, something in common all cultures have is they have their music. And music is often the least censored form and in some ways the most accessible form for just everyday people. You know what I mean? 
But also, Marcus, it's not just when you're specifically referring to the harmonica or the blues. It's that the writing is musical. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate you saying that, and I think that it's really it's really interesting to hear that from an objective voice, from, from you, especially whom I respect greatly, to say the writing is musical just as kind of swells my heart, Erica. Thank you. But it's not overdone. It's not just for the sake of, oh, this is alliteration. Let's play with it. It's not that kind of thing. It feeds exactly into what you're doing in a particular poem. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a, astute. Because it's not intentional. It is just, in my case, it's kind of in part the way I write has uh, a certain kind of cadence to it, certain uh, metrics to it. And there's a, a sense that I perform a lot. I do a lot of spoken word performances. So some of the poems have a little bit of an eye toward how they will be projected into a microphone on a stage and how it carries through, because some of the poems are a little longer. Some of them, you know, are very short, but some of them are a little longer. But what can carry, sometimes what can carry thought is musicality. There are poems, I think, that are primarily meant to be read in, say, your easy chair or your bed, kind of to yourself. There are poems that just insist that you read them out loud. And I like when people can see that, you know what I mean? In some of my poems, people see that very quickly. I, I couldn't help but almost just recite it out loud with you, and I find that to be... I, I like that. I just like that. It, poetry has long been... In America, it's had a very odd career, but it persists. In some ways, Americans... Not Americans, but American academic institutionalization have really sequestered poetry to a place where it's sort of like, yeah. You know, it turns people off. It's what they learned in 11th grade, how to recite and read by rote. But the more I read in public, the more I realize that people fall in love very quickly with poetry. And musicality, I think, really does have something to do with that process of falling in love. Do you do joint readings with Mr. Mawson? Yeah, we will on May 22nd will be a joint reading. It's the beginning of a kind of like COVID question mark tour as we're kind of getting a little looser. After our first book with PM Press, we did readings in Asheville, North Carolina, New York City, Baltimore, of course, D.C., and a bunch of places. This is a little more catch-as-catch-can, just to be safe. So, yes, we will be performing together on Saturday, May 22nd at the Hazelnut Hardly, yes. We spoke of imagery, images that recur, the world of nature as an example, but you write about specific places, Sherwood Gardens, Baltimore, Maryland, the Lehigh Gorge and Jim Thorpe, and Third Street. So there are places that you name here, and people like Allen Ginsberg, for example, and Dolores. What about that sense of, of place in this book? Well, I, I think that there are places that are, by their very existence, illuminating. And he mentioned a few in nature. That's places like Sherwood Garden with the explosion at this time in May, with the tulips and azaleas just bursting up. Again, city parks are, are another great, great, great gift. And that's in Baltimore, and it's, it's, uh, it's an open secret. But the flower beds there are just extraordinary, and it's... This green and colorful expanse where people breathe and and fall in love with the beauty of the place and the change of season. So for me, that's an inspiring place. When I got news that my mother died, 
I spent much time there healing myself among the azaleas and dogwood and tulips and roses. As for Lehigh Gorge, you know as well as I do the history of this area and the tanning that went on and the coal mining, of course, that went on and the the carving of uh, the gorge, that ancient kind of glacial formations and uh, the carving out of uh, the mountains by the Lehigh River is, is, it takes your breath away. And that whole area from, say, Whitehaven down to uh, Glenanoco Falls, Jim Thorpe and all of that is, is it's good to see people using those trails. There's something there's something rejuvenating about being out there in, in wildness, in the wilderness, and history whispers there. And it whispers to the birds, it whispers to the rhododendron, it whispers through the rush of the Lehigh River. It's just, uh, it takes you out of yourself, makes you bigger and smaller at the same time, which I find, yeah. If we're at home and we've got the book, you all give us help or prompts on the page for how you might hear it or how you might speak it in terms of using paragraphs and capital letters and different typeface in a way that makes it feel like we're not just reading a straight, formal poem. Yeah, yeah. I don't think poetry needs to be a puzzle. I think poetry is uh, perhaps the deepest parts of the chambers of the heart of the poet speaking to him or herself and also to any ears that will hear. I don't think poetry is meant to be locked up in a dusty attic and stashed away. I think that why do people express themselves? To be heard. Or speak to themselves to make sense of life, to find faith, to uh, answer questions that are timeless to at least approach the gates of, of an answer of timeless questions. Prompts, talking about prompts, some of the poems kind of have secret sort of ways of reading them in this book. With the capitalization, you could kind of read the capitalized letters as little poems within the poems. So that's, it's, it's just kind of a, it's a nice little thing that happens every now and then throughout simultaneous revolutions. And that would be Greg's Greg's thing. Yes, he does that well. G.H. does that well. And also, we can't help but note when we see something like a section titled Flags and Tyrants, uh, Liberté, those sorts of things in the title, there are strong poems about what you had talked about before, and that's social matters, political matters. Yes, yes. Those things are definitely addressed. There's a group of haiku in the Liberté haiku that speak in the 575 syllabic tradition of haiku about murders of unarmed black folks in the streets of America, which seem to go on and on and on. Poems about the environment, poems about homelessness, haiku is just addressing in not a propagandistic way, but in a human way, addressing some injustices, things that are really out of balance in this country. So we, yeah, that is part of this book, certainly. Since you talked about it and it had a connection with you in helping you heal from your mom's passing, and since we are in May and you spoke beautifully about azaleas and dogwood and tulips and they're all out there now, could you turn to page 12 and read Sherwood Gardens for us? I would indeed. Sherwood Gardens in Baltimore. It's not that you go looking for it in the early May afternoon with flowers that draw you. Graceful curves of the yellow tulips, 
Anticipation of azaleas about to burst, quiet shelter of dogwood blooms, restfulness that brought you to your sunny slow walk through generous oxygen, among many others lying down, playing catch, nuzzling lazy conversations, plus a few like you who saunter, eyes making love to colors, peaked ears and perked nostrils, plus some in turbans, some in dreads, some in diapers, some in skirts, some in blue jeans, some in work boots. No, it's not that you go looking for it exactly, but here it is, spacious enough to allow that one crucial step forward, pungent enough to let you forget childhood's first sour lessons. Beware of public smiles. Always run from strangers. Yet flowers arrive with food for the eyes and bees tease what's obvious and free while the breeze interweaves parades of history into a fade. And there, the ending is just what we were talking about in terms of the musicality of your language. Yet flowers arrive with food for the eyes and bees tease what's obvious and free while the breeze interweaves parades of history into a fade. Now tell us how we can find the book. PMPress.org. That'll, that'll uh, bring you to a listing of books that they have, and you'll, you'll see this one on it. And remind us about the reading. Okay, so Saturday, May 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Hazleton Art League, we'll be doing the spoken word performance book release and, and book signing of Simultaneous Revolutions. That is 31 West Broad Street in Hazleton. And there will be music to open by Damien Quick and a group called Wordplay. And we'll, we'll read from this book and a few other things and take a break. And we'll have some book signing and then we'll have a little more of us and a little more music. And it should be a really nice evening. Author Marcus Colasurdo of Hazleton speaking with us about Simultaneous Revolutions, Poems, a book by Marcus and G.H. Mawson, M-O-S-S-O-N, that has just been released by PM Press. There will be a spoken word performance and book release Saturday, May 22nd at 7 in the evening at the Hazleton Artley, 31 West Broad Street. Social distancing is required. Music by Wordplay. How appropriate is that? Damien Quick and Wordplay. And again, a book signing to Simultaneous Revolutions, Poems by Marcus Colasurdo and G.H. Mawson, released by PM Press. For more information, pmpress.org, pmpress.org. Again, you're invited to a spoken word performance and book release Saturday, May 22nd at 7 in the evening at the Hazleton Art League, 31 West Broad Street in downtown Hazleton. G.H. Mawson will be there. And for more information on the web, pmpress.org, pmpress.org, and hazeltonartleague.org, hazeltonartleague.org. There's a map, and you can find your way to the Hazleton Art League. Music by Wordplay, Damien Quick's band, and you can meet Marcus and G.H. Mawson and hear them perform their work. And Marcus, his name is spelled M-A-R-C-U-S, and it's Colasurdo, C-O-L-A, 
S-U-R-D-O, Marcus Colasurdo and G.H. Mawson. The book is Simultaneous Revolutions. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.